take it, you know? Well, I am uh, looking forward to just diving into God's Word together with you today. Uh, if you've been with us, you know we have been in a series in Second Peter, uh, which we went into right after, well, after Easter and baptism and a few interruptions, but right after First Peter, we went into Second Peter, and we've been talking about living forward, living forward. And that comes out of a verse that we haven't even gotten to yet. It comes out, and we're not even going to get to that verse today, at the end Uh, of chapter 3, Peter says, since you look forward to these things, since you look forward to Jesus coming back, since you look forward to God coming and making his world right, how then should you live? Since you look forward to this, how should you live? But we've learned, even though that verse, those verses don't come till next week, we've learned all the way through this book, how we are to live forward. What What does it mean to live forward when we're expecting something? means to live partaking of God's life and nature. That's what we found out in chapter 1. And it also means remembering God in his word. We're going to be talking about that more today. Living forward means don't entertain what is exploiting you, Pastor Phil talked about a few weeks back. And living forward means choosing the right master because we're all mastered by something, right? We're all mastered by something, whether we know it or not. Are we mastered by our sin or are we mastered by our Savior? All of this is living forward, and we're going to find out more about that today. But living forward is primarily living expectantly. Living expecting something to happen. And I love what Peter's going to address today because he's going to say, what happens when what you expect to happen doesn't happen? What happens when what you expect to happen doesn't happen? Do you know what happens to me? I get complacent. When what I expect to happen doesn't happen, I get complacent. Did you ever get a traffic ticket? How many in here have ever got a traffic ticket? And remind, oh man, so many more of you have, I bet. (laughs) But how do you drive right after you've gotten a traffic ticket? You drive really carefully. Because around any corner, there might be a cop. So anywhere you least expect it, you might be stopped again. And you you don't want to pay that fine again. And now they have cameras. Now it's just not looking for the cop cars. Now they have cameras all these other places too, right? So you don't even know that they're there until you get the letter in the mail, right? We got the letter in the mail one time. I got the letter in the mail last year that our our Corolla was caught by a traffic camera. And you know who gets tickets in our family? You know who's known for driving a little fast, a little past the speed limit, getting more tickets than the other? My wife. She's right over there. I didn't tell her I was going to say this. I'm in trouble. She's known for it. So I got that camera. I said, oh boy, honey, look at this. You were driving down in Maryland on this road on this day. and Oh, I had the Corolla that day. Yeah, so I got that one that day. And after that, I was driving a little more carefully for a while. And then I stopped because what I expected might happen any time down the road didn't happen. And I got complacent, at least until the next ticket. So, listen, we're going um, to pray this morning against our own complacency, right? Because I don't know what you walked in here with, but sometimes I walk into church and I just expect what has always happened before, just a normal Sunday, kick back, listen to pastor teach, all of this stuff. And what I don't expect is God to interrupt in this very moment. 
Listen, that's what we're here for. This is the word of God. And he's here to interrupt you. Are you ready? Or do you just expect what happened those other Sundays when you weren't paying attention? All right, let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you that you, God, have a desire to do a work in us this very day. God, whatever we showed up with, whatever plans we're looking forward to after this, in this moment, you are here to meet with us, and we declare that we are here to meet with you. God, open our ears and our eyes to hear from you, to see your work in our lives, and to do the thing that we have might not even expect to change us, even today, God. I thank you that you have began a good work in many of us. I thank you, Lord, that it is not done. And so, God, we pray for you to further that work in us right now as we open your word. I thank you that your word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that it would cut us to convict us. I pray that it would cut us to heal us and to make us more like you. God, most of all, we pray that you would stir our hearts to adore you more in this moment than we have this morning so far. We love you, Jesus. We are here for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be in the first nine verses this week. And you can open your Bibles or devices that will also be up on the screen. It says this, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, Peter says. So he's writing to the same audience he has written to before. And he says, I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation, and they deliberately forget. This wasn't a mistake. This wasn't an oversight on their part. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing. Don't forget this, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Listen to that. That's the heart of her God. He is, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? One reason, he's patient with you. We'll get there. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're going to start back before we get to God's patience to where Peter uh, starts in this passage. 
And he says to these folks, this is my second letter to you. I'm writing to the, this letter, the second, uh, this second letter, and I'm writing it for the same reason that I wrote the first letter. And here's, here's why I have written them. I've written them both as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, it says. This is the same words. I don't know if you were here when Alex preached a few weeks ago. He talked about stirring us up, that Peter wanted to stir us up. This is the same language here. He wants to stir us up to wholesome thinking, he says. To pure minds, it says in another translation. He wants to stir us up to that. So I have a question for you. If you've been here with us since January, end of January, we started 1 Peter. And we've read all the way through 1 Peter together. We've studied most of the way through 2 Peter. We're going to finish it up next week. But Peter wrote these words that we might be stirred up to holy minds, to pure minds, to wholesome thinking. So let me ask you, are your minds more pure than they were back in January? Is your thinking more holy and righteous and pure and centered on the Lord than it was in January? That's a good question to ask. When when somebody in Scripture tells you, this is why I've written, ask, are are they getting through to you? Because a lot of times i got to admit, I'll read this. I, this isn't the first time I've read 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And there's times I could read that and say, well, Pete, you're not. My thinking is not more pure than it was a couple months back. No can do, buddy. Where's your third letter? <laughs> right? I mean, don't we do that with Scripture? We think, man, Peter, if you were better, my thinking would be more pure and you would have achieved what you set out to do. No. Hang on a second. This is what he set out to do, and he set out to do it by the power of the living Spirit of God, active and moving in him. And this word is living and active. And so, if our minds are not more pure than they were back in January, maybe the problem isn't with the writer, maybe the problem's with the reader. Maybe the problem's with the reader, not so much with the word, right? Because we're in a habit these days. A lot of people are in a habit of looking at the Bible and saying, man, this thing, this thing has problems. Look, contradicts itself all over the place. Says this in one place, this in another. Flawed. No, this, friends, this isn't flawed. <laughs> no flaw in here. So, so let's talk about how we approach the word of God. Anytime, any scripture, anywhere, you're not going to understand it of it all. Let me tell you that right up front. Get used to that. He's God. If you could understand him, he wouldn't be God. And he gives us a window. He longs to communicate to us. And he gives us a window into who he is. And we're not going to understand all of it. So much so that some of it looks like it's going to contradict itself. But do you know what? The flaw is not in the word. The flaw is in us. That's not to shame us. It's not to put judgment on us. That's just to say, let's come humbly, folks. This word's been around a lot longer than we have. So let's approach it humbly. And if, by some chance, we get to 2 Peter chapter 3, and our minds are not thinking more purely than they were a few months ago, let's not say the problem's with the word. Let's just say, maybe I missed something. (laughs) Let's read it again. So flip to 1 Peter chapter 1. No, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) But maybe you ought to go home and read it again. Maybe you ought to soak in his word again. Because let's approach it humbly and understand the issues aren't with the word. The word points out the issues in us. 
to bring us back to repentance. We'll get there too today. So then he says this, I want you, this, this is why, Peter says, I, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. He, he's even talking about himself right there. He's one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. And he's saying this, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. Do you know what that is? That's all of the Old Testament. We think of the prophets as just some of the Old Testament, but Moses, they called Moses a prophet. Everybody who wrote the Old Testament, they were prophets. So the whole Old Testament, I want you to remember all of that. And I want you to remember everything you know that, that God is speaking, that Jesus spoke through the apostles. Now, they didn't even have a New Testament at this time, right? Like we know it, it was being written real time. Even as Peter writes this letter, the New think about that, the New Testament is being written as Peter is writing this letter. And he, he has to say to his audience, because some of them, they're, they're good law-abiding Jews, some of them, and they followed the Old Testament for ages. And now these newfangled folks are coming with a new word. And, and they say, well, that's not as good as this word. And he says, no, 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 no. This is, this is a new revelation by God through Jesus Christ. But it's just a fulfillment of what was. And so both of these are equal in authority, equal in value, equal in the wisdom to speak into our lives and to call us back to God. Both of them are equal because some of them were saying, the, the, these new folks, I don't, I don't believe their word, I just believe the old. And, and here's the thing, folks, that I think we've got to take from this, this. This isn't our problem nowadays. A lot of us, if we've grown up in the church and we believe in the New Testament, and we've, we said we've sold out our lives to Jesus Christ, we're like, yes, we're all about Jesus. I am all about the new. But then we forget the old. We just leave aside the Old Testament and say, well, that doesn't apply anymore. And you know what? There's some ways that's, that's true in this sense. We are not under Old Covenant. Praise God for that. We are not under the requirements of the law to be made right before our God. And so this covenant that Israel sent, and, and that's why we don't come here and sacrifice a lamb. We're not under old covenant. We don't have to sacrifice lambs anymore. The only lamb that ever needed sacrifice has been sacrificed 2,000 years ago, and now we don't need to. So praise God. In that way, yes, the Old Testament does not apply to us anymore. And yet, and yet, if you want to make your whole life about Jesus, the Old Testament is all about Jesus. I mean, that's what he said. He was walking with two friends on the road. They didn't understand anything that was going on in their day. And he called them foolish and slow to believe. And it said he went through all the scriptures, Genesis to Malachi. It doesn't say that, but that's what, it, you know, Genesis to Malachi. Those are the scriptures. That's all they had. They didn't have Matthew. They didn't have Mark. They didn't have Galatians. They, he went Genesis to Malachi and, and explained to them everything concerning himself. There is so much in the Old Testament about Jesus, and I don't think we've discovered the half of it. Personally, I think we're going to get to heaven and find out we haven't figured out the half of it. And Jesus is going to be there like, I was just waiting for you to find this one. And you didn't, but it's okay. Let me tell you this one now. It's really cool. Jesus is like a diamond, thousand facets. And we've only discovered 10, 20, a few hundred. Folks, there's hundreds more. Get into his word, all of it. All of it. We'll, we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But listen, he, he goes from this to say, the whole word of God is equal in wisdom, value, and validity. And Jesus Christ came to fulfill it all. It is all about him. 
But don't forget any of it. Bring it all to mind because it all points to him. And then he says this, above all. So he's two-thirds of the way through his letter, and now he says above all. So if you've gotten anything out of the letter so far, if you've received anything good, now sit up, pay attention, because above all of that, Peter says, listen to this. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Must be frustrating to be Satan, right? Must be frustrating to be the enemies of God. Because they come, they come and say, man, this word, I don't buy into this. Do you know when they come and say, I don't buy into this word, they're actually fulfilling this very word? <laughs> Scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming, he promised. They put it in quotes. Don't you hate when people do that? Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And we read that and we think, oh yeah, there are people who say that, right? Man, they don't believe the word of God and everything's gone on since, and and they say God's not going to do anything. Because what these people are saying is they're saying, Jesus came and he left then. He ascended into heaven, but he said, I'm coming back. And angels actually came at that very moment and said to his followers, Jesus is coming back soon. And now his followers are preaching to everybody that Jesus is coming back. Be careful how you live. Jesus is coming back. And they say, where is he? Because ever since then, God appears to be silent. And the same question that faced them faces us. So we've got to hit this head on. What do we do when God appears to be silent? Because that's what they're saying. Jesus said he was going to show. Haven't seen him yet. Is there an area of your life you expect God to show and he hasn't shown up yet? At least it appears he hasn't shown up. What do we do when God appears to be silent? You know, I think there's two areas in our lives where this really challenges us. I'm sure there's more, but there's two I'm going to mention. One is trials. When trials come in our life, storms, suffering, those come in our lives, and God appears to be silent. And we pray, and we don't hear anything back, and nothing changes. And day after day after day, the storm just keeps raging, and it appears like God is silent. And, and many of us, if you follow Christ long enough, you're going to be in this place at some point, and you're going to say, Jesus, you said you were going to come. Where's the rescue? Where's the peace? Where's the abundant life you promised me? I don't see it. Where is this coming you promised, Jesus? What do we do when God appears to be silent? It's a hard question. And i got to tell you, I'm, I'm not actually going to talk about trials a whole lot today. If you've been going to grace long enough, we talk about that a lot. How God shows up in the midst of the storms, even when he apparently doesn't appear to show up. But but here's the other area of our lives that we are going to talk about this morning much more, where where we need to decide what we're going to do when God appears to be silent, and it's the area of our sin. It's the area of other people's sin. Because don't don't we look at other people's sin, this sin across this whole world, and God appears to be silent about it, doesn't he? How many mass shootings have we had since January? I don't know. I forgot to look it up before I came out this morning. But it's been a lot. Tragedy. Murders. 
kidnappings, child trafficking, wars, atrocities, persecution. What do we do when God appears to be silent in the face of that? Because God, you said you were a God of justice, right? Your word says you're coming to make it all right. So where is this coming, right? That's just with other people's sin. God, where is this justice you promised? And then, and then there's our own sin if we want to get really honest. If we want to get really honest, because this word says that there are consequences to our sin. When we live in a way that does not fall in line with submission to the God of the universe, it says there's consequences for that. But a lot of times, God appears to be silent in the face of that. And I can go on and do whatever I want, and there doesn't seem to be any consequences right away. I, I, can, I can drink, how many people are out there in, in the world drinking however much they want, partying however much they want? It looks like they're still having a great time. Not too many consequences hitting them yet. When, Lord, is this coming? But what about us? I mean, it's not just speeding, is it, right? If we haven't gotten pulled over in a little while, I can eat whatever I want. I can eat whatever I want. There's no consequences, right? Until you hit your 40s. And then there's consequences. Now I suddenly can't eat, and now it's all caught up with me, right? So I can eat whatever I want today because there's no, I get the fulfillment. I get the satisfaction today, right? I get the rush today of the sugar or caffeine or whatever it is. Oh, but there's consequences. If you eat enough of that, drink enough of that, there's consequences coming tomorrow. Might be able to see them in the mirror or in the blood pressure or whatever, but there's consequences coming. And that's, that's just a picture of the deeper issues in our lives. A lot of my life I struggled with lust. And lust is one of those struggles you can struggle with as a guy. But the only person I'm really hurting is myself. I wasn't even married. I'm only hurting myself. There's no consequences. Oh, there's consequences. There's consequences. You don't realize that later on in life, if you practice lust enough and give into that enough, you begin to look at every person of the opposite sex or the same sex, we'll go there, right? Whatever sex, as an object to fulfill your pleasure rather than as a son or daughter of the living God. Or rather than as a future son or daughter of the living God. There are consequences to all of our sin. But what do we do when God appears to be silent? What do we do? Peter says, first of all, this. He says, God's word proves he'll do what he promised. If you think God appears to be silent right now, this is why Peter calls us to remember his word. The whole thing, Old Testament and New, because God's word proves he'll do what he promised. See, God's word just doesn't tell us the promise. It's full of promises. But God's word also proves that he'll do what he promised. This is what Peter says. He says, deliberately, they forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. See, these people, you know what they're saying is, man, nothing's changed. You look back generations, thousands of years, nothing's changed. So nothing's ever going to change. And Peter says, no, they're deliberately forgetting it's been like this before. The world's been in situations where it doesn't look like anything's going to change. Actually, before the world even existed, there was just void. There was nothing. Nothingness. Darkness 
and nothing. Not even the void of space, because the void of space is something. There was nothing. And it was not ever going to change. Ever. It was just going to keep going on like that forever. But, but God. But God said a word. He spoke, and he interrupted the void, and he interrupted the darkness, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And all of a sudden, everything changed. But then the, the earth, he, he formed it out of nothing. And it was all these chaotic waters. That's all. The whole earth was just water. And it was absolute chaos. And it was going to go on like that forever. There was nothing that ever was ever going to change about that. But God interrupted that and he spoke and he put order to the chaos. And he brought land out of the water. And then the land was empty. And that was going to go on like that forever. But God spoke and he interrupted and he filled the emptiness. And, and, and do you see, God just kept interrupting this. And then Peter said it didn't stop there. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. See, after creation, God set it in motion and God said, be fruitful and multiply. And that's what people did. They were fruitful and they multiplied and they wandered away from God and it just kept going. And it actually got so bad that it says that everything they did, every thought they had, Every intention of their heart was only evil all the time, and it just kept going. Generation after generation after generation, and nothing was ever going to change. It was the same as it always had been, but God interrupted. And the rains poured down, and the water came up from the earth, and a flood destroyed everything. And Peter stops with these two examples, but we could go on because in the end, you look at this book and you could look at this book as just a list of all the ways that God interrupted what was going on, right? Abraham's out there worshiping idols and God interrupts and says, come, I, I'm going to be your God. Go to a land I'm going to show you. And God interrupts Abraham. And then Abraham and Sarah, Sarah's infertile, can't have a baby, and nothing about that is ever going to change. She is never going to have a baby except God interrupts it and says, you're going to have a kid, get the nursery ready. And then Moses is out shearing sheep. And that's all he's going to do for the rest of his life. He tried that once to help his people. He's never going to do it again. But God interrupts it with a burning bush and says, you're going to go and you're going to set my people free. And Gideon, threshing wheat in a pit, coward that he is, nothing's ever going to change. He's always going to be scared. And God interrupts him and says, mighty warrior. And God, one time after another, after another, after another, after another, is just interrupting what's going on. And what has always been now changes when God interrupts. He's just this big interrupter, isn't he? Reminds me of my kids. My kids are little interrupters. Y'all have kids. You know that about your kids. They're little interrupters, aren't they? Man, from the day they were born, like you know, you expect they're going to be born, right? And so you plan for it and everything, and you are ready for them to be born, except you're not. You had no idea what you were in for, and they interrupt everything. And then they just keep doing that. Like you try to sleep, and you used to get sleep. Even yesterday, you used to get so much sleep, but they interrupt it again and again and again because they're hungry or they need a diaper change. They get everything, and, and just, if they could just be content, they don't need that much. They just need fed, and they just need the diaper change, and they just need sleep. That's only they, those, those three things. But they need it all the time, so they just keep interrupting. And you're like, I just can't wait till they get out of diapers so that they stop interrupting my day. And I just can't wait till they sleep through the night until they stop interrupting my night, and then they learn to talk. 
little interrupters all the time. And listen, God is just this big interrupter, and I don't mean to diminish it, but listen, he is just, he's this big interrupter where you just, we just, listen, let's be honest, we just want to go about our lives. Let's just live at peace. Let's like get as much money as we can. Let's just have fun. That's whatever. But God keeps interrupting again and again and again and says, listen, I have better for you. Here's the good thing about God's interruptions. They're not like our kids' interruptions. Our kids' interruptions take away, don't they? They feel like they always take away. Oh, God's interruptions are always good. They're always for our good. He's always chasing after us and saying, listen, if I let you go that way, it's not going to be life-giving. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be what I intended. And so God is this big interrupter and says, come on, you're going the wrong way. Follow me. Have you heard him lately? Have you heard him interrupt you lately? He's, he's, he's been there. He's been speaking. Have you listened? Or are you too busy? Are you too busy with your stuff, too busy with your sleeping, too busy with whatever? Have you heard him interrupt? Because, man, he's a big interrupter. This Bible, just it, all the way through cover to cover, this is just what he does. He interrupts, he interrupts, and he interrupts. Until after 400 years, when God appeared to be silent for 400 years, comes the biggest interruption ever. Jesus Christ is born in a manger. God took on flesh. And, and Peter says, don't forget the Old Testament because if you all were here when Alex preached about it a few weeks ago, Jesus came, but it wasn't like he wasn't a new kid on the block, right? 320 prophecies at least in the Old Testament. Peter says, don't forget about them. Jesus is not a new kid on the block. He's the fulfillment of all of them. And the chances that one person would fulfill all of these are a number that's so big it's meaningless. But he did it. So Peter says, don't forget, because God's word proves he'll do what he promised. And then he says that, and then here, here's the other thing, though. After that interruption, I forget where I was. My thoughts interrupted myself. Oh, here's what I was going to say. Here we go. Do you know that those 320 prophecies in the Old Testament, those aren't the only prophecies in the Old Testament? Remember when I was talking about us, how we shouldn't throw out the Old Testament? Do you know that there's prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet? There's at least 13 books in the Old Testament that have prophecies about the end times. There's actually more than that. But listen, Isaiah... Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Zechariah, Joel, all of these have significant portions of Scripture that talk about prophecies of things that are yet to come. And so just like the Old Testament proves that Jesus is not some new kid on the block, but he is the Word who has always existed from the beginning of creation, the Word who was with God and the Word who was God. So the Old Testament shows us that, that Jesus coming back a second time, this big interruption that Jesus is going to do again, this is not plan B. This is not a change of plans. The Old Testament shows us this was God's plan all along. Are, are we reading it? Do you know his plan? Oh, it's confusing. I don't understand all of it, but he's laid some of the plan out there. Are we looking into it? We're going to get a chance to look into it. Actually, after Second Peter, there's series coming. We're looking into one of those books I mentioned. We'll get there. Uh, God is the big interrupter. 
He's interrupted all the way along, and he interrupted with Jesus Christ, and he's going to interrupt with Jesus Christ again. And that's where Peter goes to. He says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. See, there were scoffers one day way back when, when Noah was around, and eventually God interrupted them with water. And there are scoffers in these days now, and they will be interrupted by fire. We're not even going to talk about a whole lot of what that looks like today. But let's just let that sink in. It, sh- it should cause a little bit of fear if we aren't in Christ. There's an interruption coming. And Peter wants to remind us that there's an interruption coming because he wants to say to us, you don't have all the time in the world. See, these scoffers are saying, everything's going to keep going the way it always has been. We have all the time in the world. Peter says, listen, you don't have all the time in the world, not by long shot. But we think that, right? We think that with our sin. Well, I'll change tomorrow. It's too fun today. I don't have the strength. I'm too weak today. I'll figure this out tomorrow. I have plenty of my life. I have my whole life left to give to Jesus Christ. Give me just a few years. Like, you don't know what my life is like right now. If I were to follow God, it would mean this. This right here, I'm going to go my way. I'll follow him next year. I'll follow him when life is easier. Listen to me. You don't have all the time in the world. Stop acting like you do. Stop living like you have all the time in the world. You don't. Man, I was just... Tim Keller, right? Ever listen to Tim Keller preach? Man, He's a foundation, like, he seems like one of those guys who is just going to be around forever. And I don't know if you know, Tim Keller passed away on Friday. (laughs) And now he's in the arms of the Savior. None of us have all the time in the world. We think there's all the time in the world because we aren't experiencing the consequences right now of our sin. You know what the Bible says about the consequences of sin? It says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And you know what? We, some of us, we've sat in church so long and we've heard this verse so long that we forget it's written in the present tense, the wages of sin is death. We think, well, wages of sin aren't death anymore. Jesus. <laughs> no, no, that's present tense. The wages of sin is death. Still. God doesn't wink at our sin. He hasn't like wiped the board clean. He hasn't said, ah, you get a pass. No, the wages of sin is death. You mess around with a life that is not in submission to the living God, death. That's the stakes. Life or death. That always has been the stakes. It is still the stakes. The wages of sin is death. That hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is that God interrupted. The wages of our sin is still death, but God, Jesus Christ, stepped in the middle and interrupted that and steps right in the middle and says, I'll take that. And so 2,000 years ago, the one who knew no sin became sin for us. And he didn't erase the consequences of sin. He doesn't wink and nudge and say, hi, you guys. You are so full of mischief. 
goofy fellas. Come back to me. No, the wages of sin is death, and it still sent Jesus to the cross. And the one who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. Those are the stakes. They've always been the stakes. They're still the stakes. The wages of sin is still death. And the only difference for you or me, if we are in Christ, if you and I are in Christ, is that Jesus interrupted, and now that death is moved from our future to our past. That death is now in our, in our past. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died the death that we should have died because he interrupted it for us. And we, when we come to him, Oh, it's as simple as praying a prayer. It's not easy. It's as easy as dying. <laughs> it's as simple as prayer, prayer, praying a prayer, and it's as easy as dying. That's what coming to Jesus is. Because we come to Jesus, and Paul says, what I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. If you've said yes to that, <laughs> you've accepted the greatest interruption of all. Jesus stepping right in the middle between your sin and your consequences and saying, I'll take that. And here's the only thing left to us is to participate in that interruption to say, yes, Jesus, that was for me. Have you said yes to that? Have you said yes that that is for me? That I want my death moved from my, my future to my past? Because that death that Jesus took on was for me. Have you said that? And listen, Christian, brother or sister in Christ, the wages of your sin is still death. Just not your death anymore, but it's still death. And so listen to me. You don't have all the time in the world. Stop playing around. Listen, I beg of us all, like, stop playing around. I've, guys, I've done it this week. Like, I acted like this was not important. I've wasted time. We get so bought into living like the world around us, going after everything they're going after, because right now the guy across the street going after money and sex and drugs and whatever else looks like he's having a great time. Listen, he doesn't have all the time in the world, and neither do you. So let's stop living with one foot in the world, acting as if we can look like them and chase after everything they're chasing after and live for God the way he intends us to. Stop wasting our time because we don't have all the time in the world. Listen, yes, your future, if you are in Christ, your future is guaranteed. But let's not treat it like fire insurance that we checked a box. By all means, like, let's be all in now so that one day when we meet him face to face, so that one day when we meet him face to face, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Listen, you don't have all the time in the world. Stop messing around, right? The choice that is given us is will we participate in the interruption? Will we participate in the interruption? This happens when we say yes to Jesus the first time. That, easy, that uh, simple prayer and hard death that we died that one time. And it happens every day as we participate with Jesus because God is pursuing us every day. And he wants to interrupt the mess that we make of our lives every single day. And when you say yeah, that first yes to Jesus, it, it doesn't mean you're going to stop making a mess of your life. It just means the grace of God is going to fill in the gaps. And by his spirit, he's going to empower you to bit by bit live more and more free and more victoriously. 
It means that God, when he looks on you, does not see the identity of your sin any longer. He sees the identity of Christ. And in that, he invites you every day to participate in his interruption. I'm chasing after you. I want to be with you. Will you be with me? Will you be with me? How do you need to say yes to God's interruption today? How do you need to say yes? It starts with his word. Do you know what Psalm 1 says? We're in pastor's meeting this week, and Pastor Jeff brought this up, and I love, love this connection. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who stands not in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So Peter's talking about scoffers. How do we, how do we avoid being scoffers? Well, this man did. How did he do it? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his word he meditates day and night. How often is your life, your day-to-day, your schedule, your busyness interrupted by the word of God? How often do you crack this thing and participate in God's interruption of you? And it's not just like half an hour sitting there at the beginning of your day with your cup of coffee. It's like, are there reminders on your phone? Do you stop going from one task to the next task? Do you stop in between and say, God, I receive you in this moment again? I'm aware of you here. Interrupt me. Interrupt my plans because yours are better. Do you participate in your interruption? There's thousands of small ways to do it every day. Right now, you can be thinking about what's going to happen after, or you can be waiting for God to interrupt you right in this very moment. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? Are you ready to participate in his interruption? Because the interruption's coming. So here, here's the natural question. I know, like, okay, the interruption's coming, the big interruption. Jesus is coming back. So when? And here's what Peter says. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, here's what some people have done with this scripture is they take it and they've made it this formula that says, oh, this is how God looks at time. 1,000 years equals a day, and a day equals 1,000 years. And then they do this complicated math formula, and they take the 77s of Daniel, and they divide it by the horns of the beast in Revelation, and they do all the complicated math. And when they get to the end, they find out that Jesus is actually going to come back right now. Oh, I forgot to carry the three. Uh, now. Now. Hmm. Well, I, I, I did something wrong. Let me go back. I'll get back to you. Like, this isn't a formula, folks. You know what scoffing means? It means to take lightly things that are serious. To take lightly things that are serious. I think the world does that all the time. I think occasionally we in the church might be guilty of that. When we try to figure out things that God said we can't ever figure out, no man knows the day or the hour. So don't take this lightly. No man knows the day or the hour. Don't worry about your math. You're never going to figure it out. He hasn't told us yet. Let's focus on what he has told us. Let's let him interrupt our math equations with what he has told us. He's told us that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So this isn't a math formula. Well, this, is, this is more, Peter is showing us that God views time differently than us. He views time differently than us. First of all, he's eternal, right? He's eternal. He has no beginning, no end. We can't even conceive of that. Try to think about that. Try to think about some being, some, try to think about something having no beginning and no end. We can't even conceive of that because our lives are so defined by the time that we live. We exist in time. It invades every part of our lives. We can imagine life without it, and yet life 
in God, God's life is without time. See, see, Peter, I think he's not just saying in Scripture, all of Scripture, does not just say God is eternal, that he has no beginning and no end. I believe what it's saying to us is God is without the limits of time. God is actually outside time. You ready to have your mind blown? So you know how we, do, we talk about God being omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is omnipresent. That means he is not limited by place. He is not limited and just has to be in one place at one time. He is everywhere at once. God is also omnitemporal. That means God is every when at once. Like, just try to... I, I can't. I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. But God is somehow every when at once. To say that God, uh, Lord, a th- like with him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like... He gets a view of all of it because he is outside of time. He's not subject to its limits. What gets crazy is when you think about Jesus, he took on the limitations of flesh. Can you imagine the limitations of stepping into time? All right, get a cup of coffee this afternoon and think about that. I don't have time. I don't have time. (laughs) God is outside of time. Do you know somebody has defined time as this? Time is the medium in which change occurs. Time is about change. Think about this. The only way that we know that time has passed is that something has changed. The sun rose or moved or set or the moon has changed phases or my little interrupters aren't so little anymore, right? Something has changed and so time has passed. But God, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever because he is outside of time. God is the I am. He is always present in every moment, just as present in every moment. He is every when I just encourage you to let God blow you away with how big he is how much bigger he is than you and maybe that should quiet us a little bit when we think God has been silent because Peter says the Lord's not slow the Lord's not slow he, pray, he promised he's coming back and you all think he's delaying you all you think what's, what's keeping him he's slow or he's teasing us Or maybe he can't fulfill what he promised. Peter says it's none of that. He's not slow in keeping his promises. Peter says this. He is patient. He's patient. So I I, I can tell you one thing without... I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I can tell you without doubt the reason that Jesus has not come back on May 21st, 2023. It's because he is patient with you. because he's patient. He's waiting because this is the heart of our God. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's waiting. God is waiting on you. God is waiting for you. This is his heart. So we have all these arguments. People have all these arguments about why could God, man, God could send people to hell. I don't know how a loving God could send people to hell. Do you know what I, you want to know God's heart? God so loved the world That's his heart. So loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever, you, me, whoever, soccer mom and serial killer, whoever, because it doesn't have, because we've all fallen short, because the wages of every sin is death, that whoever would believe in him, would trust in him, might come to eternal life 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. This is the heart of our God. And, and by the way, that's across all of Scripture. That's across all of Scripture. It's not just the, the God of the New Testament. It's the same God yesterday, today, today, today and forever. Same God. Still there. Ezekiel 33 says this, say to them, God says this to Israel, rebellious Israel who would not turn, he says this, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, as surely as I am, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is God's heart. Always has been, always will be. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But rather that they turn from their ways and live, and God says to them, turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? And God is looking at the entire world right now and saying, why will you die? Turn. So the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because God is patient. God is patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but it says all to come to repentance. That's what repentance means, turn. Turn. You're going the wrong way, turn. Turn. You're going away. God wouldn't have you go. Turn. And we say, well, I, ha- I have turned. If I'm in Christ, I've turned, right? So this is, you're talking to the unbeliever out here. I'm, not, I'm talking to you too. Because Jesus is not done with his work. You know what Peter says Christ's work is in Ephesians? This is towards us who believe. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is what Christ is doing in you. This is what Christ is doing in me. Brother and sister in Jesus, this is the work he's about right now. Is he done yet? I, I, I'm not holy yet. I'm not blameless I still have a few spots left. Not, not of sin, praise God, but the, the marring of them. Yeah, the consequence is taken care of, praise God, but, but he's still got some cleaning up on me to do. He's working on making me radiant, but I'm not radiant yet. Without wrinkle. <laughs> no wrinkles. He's, got a, he's still got a few to iron out in me. So what does he have in you? to iron out. He's waiting for you. So what are you waiting for? He's waiting for you. So if you are in here and do not know Jesus Christ, the specific reason that Jesus Christ has not come back yet is because he's waiting for you. You specifically. If you haven't come to Jesus Christ yet, come. Like, what are you waiting for? Do you, know, do you know what this word says? It says, the author of Hebrews says, there is a day for your salvation. Do you know what he calls that day? Today. That's what he says. So listen, unbeliever, right now in this room, let me tell you when you're going to get saved. Today is your day. Today's the day to step into him. He has pursued you time and again, and you've just put him off and shoved him off and said tomorrow and tomorrow. And listen, you don't have all the time in the world, so Come brother and sister, like, we're messing around with things of the world, thinking we can have our cake and eat it too. It was always his cake to begin with. 
Like it's not our stuff to mess around with. Let's get about the business of loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. That's what he made us for. That's where the greatest life is found. Let's get about it now, today. So what are you waiting for? So listen, I, uh, the worship team's going to come out in a minute here, but I've got to tell you one thing. You know that interrupting, that interrupting my kids do, did? We, we found the fix. Seriously, like parents, listen up, because like this is, man, this worked, this changed our lives. It was not duct tape either. <laughs> oh, gosh, where's your mind going? Here's the fix. And this, I think my wife maybe came across this in the book. I don't know. I, I'm not sure where she came across this. I know it wasn't my idea. But here's what we did. We trained our kids time after time. Because they would come up. We would, be in, we would be talking to somebody. And they would come up, Mom, Dad. You know, shout across from the playground. Look at me. I'm doing this. You know, look at me. I'm taking a step. I know, like, you've taken a thousand steps. That's fine. I don't need to look right now. I'm trying to have a conversation here. Give me one moment of peace, right? So we found the fix for the interruptions. You know what we did is we trained our kids. Instead of shouting across, instead of coming up and interrupting, because you need to honor me and you need to honor the person I'm in conversation with. If you are not bleeding and nothing's on fire, you should not be shouting and interrupting us. Because this is the way you show honor to me and others. And life is not all about you, right? And so this is what we trained them to do. They, they, they come up and they put a hand on our arm. So, like, I, I mean, like, kids, my, my littlest one, she, I, I forget how old she was, four or five, like, we would train them to do this, like, come up and put a little hand on my arm. And I'm in conversation with somebody, and they come up and they put it, just a touch on my arm. And I would just, as I'm in conversation, I just put a hand over their hand, because I would just want to recognize, hey, like, I've heard you. I'm not going to stop my conversation right this instant, but I've heard you. And then when there's a pause in the conversation, or when it's, you know, gone on a minute or two, like, okay, like, listen, my, my kid needs something, and then I'll interrupt, but it's in a way that honors each other. You know what we've never done with it? So that works. Like, trust parents, like, do it. And it's not going to work for a thousand times, but then the thousand and first, it's going to work. And now my, I'm not saying my kids don't always interrupt. Sometimes they do. But listen, even our 13, yesterday we were at a party, and my 13-year-old came up, and the hand's a little higher now. It used to be down here, now it's up here, right? But she puts a hand on. It works. You know what we've never done? Is we've never, like, mom and dad don't have to do that with the kids. Like, because we're more mature, we're in authority. We are not your eagles. So we, it doesn't mean we get to be jerks, but we're not going to interrupt you like this. Let me tell you the thing that's going to blow your mind right now. More than God being omnitemporal, more than anything else, the God of all creation who has the authority and the right to interrupt you at any moment is standing right now with his hand on your shoulder and he's waiting. He's just waiting. He, he's not going to wait forever, but he's just, he's just waiting and he's saying, come. What are you waiting for? Come. Why do you keep saying no? Come. That you may have life and have it to the full. It's got to be the most ridiculous thing that God could ever do is to humble himself like that and wait on us rebellious, imperfect, arrogant creatures. He's waiting. So will you come? So we're going to go into a worship song now. And God is doing this ridiculous thing right now where he just has a hand and he's waiting. He doesn't have to, but he's waiting. So I'm going to ask you to do an outlandish, ridiculous thing. If you do not know Jesus Christ, today's your day. 
And, and, and listen, everything that I'm going to invite you to can happen in the silence and quietness of your own heart with the Spirit of God right now. But, but I just want to ask you to do something as crazy as God waiting on you. I want you to come forward for him. I'm going to invite some people right up right now who are some prayer partners. And if you have not said yes to